Hello, boys and girls. This is Wrestling Rock on Tour RJ City, and you are listening to the Kings of the Ring. If you like it, great. And if not, well, I didn't really have that much to do with it. You are listening to the Kings of the Ring Podcast Network. Welcome to Kings of the Ring, a fictionalized and romanticized retelling of the 1980s pro wrestling days, written and produced like an ensemble cast cable drama or a soap opera. Kings of the Ring is primarily a listener-supported show, so I want to acknowledge our top guys of Patreon, Stuart Flaherty, John Snyder, Randy Larzelier, Michael Sluck, John Johnston IV, Russ Linderman, Nathan Wilkinson, Yosemite Smith, Duncan Clark, Zach Like, Dom Rose, Matthew Rogers, Jeremiah DeBolt, Sam Hollingsworth, and Justin Taylor. That's right, the same Justin Taylor from The Meat Machine, ready to make his wrestling debut today. If you are a Patreon top guy or top girl, you get to be a genuine King to the Ring character. That means in the show, plus the novel. And remember to read the recaps in the episode notes, which will contain all the relevant refreshers for today's episode. Kings of the Ring is intended for mature audiences. Today's episode would be rated M.A. for profanity and tasteless jokes from the 80s. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kings of the Ring. On the set of the WSMV TV studios in Nashville, Tennessee, it's Wild Wild Wrestling. The host, Jimbo Barnes, holds a microphone in front of a skinny manager in a multicolored mismatched suit with an oversized white lab coat and one of those metal circle deals on his forehead that doctors wear in old movies. Beside them is a huge console straight out of a cheesy B-movie set of a 50s mad scientist scientific lab. And behind them is a large sheet over an object over seven feet tall. Uh, welcome back, fans. Uh, I'm here with uh, Johnny Johnston, and he's about Get to... Get it right, Barnes. That's Johnny Johnston the fourth. I come from a long line of winners. Oh, well, pardon me all over the place. Johnny Johnston the fourth. Now, what's with it, get up? You some kind of doctor or scientist now? Everybody always thinks that Raylan Crenshaw gets the best of old Johnny Johnston the fourth. Well, I got news for you, Daddy. That all ends now. Oh, really? Yes, really. Now, Crenshaw, I saw what you did to my guy Grody Maxwell last night at Mid-South Coliseum in the dog collar chain match. And everybody knows you cheated. No, no, he didn't cheat. He won fair and square. Shut up, Barnes. Will you stop? Raylan Crenshaw, you know and I know that Grody Maxwell had you beat. Now he's so distraught, he went up and gone back to the swamps of Louisiana. But you ain't gonna be able to get away with that anymore. How's that? Because of this. He points to the large (laughs) object covered in a sheet behind them. Jimbo Barnes turns and is startled, acting like it's the first time he saw it, even though he's been standing next to it the entire time. This is going to be the end of Raylan Crenshaw, I guarantee it. I'm so sick of Crenshaw. We're all sick of him and his mouth. Oh, oh, come on. Raylan Crenshaw, the people's hero with his giant pot belly, as he winks to the crowd and approaches Johnny Johnston IV with a smirk like Bugs Bunny taunting Elmer Fudd. Johnny Johnston, the only thing these people are sick of is you. Crenshaw, I can't wait to wipe the smirk off your stinking face. What's under the sheet? 
Your old leader? <laughs> Why don't you find out for yourself, Raymond? Crenshaw steps around and examines the machinery and the sheet, looking around, confused. He scratches his head and looks to the crowd, who are always on his side. Go on, Crenshaw. I dare you. Finally, he leans over and grabs one end of the sheet and slowly pulls it off to reveal a giant arm. Then he pulls the entire sheet down, revealing the six-foot-seven-inch Michael Peel, who wears brown trunks and boots and a hockey mask over his face and a metal spaghetti colander on his head with two antenna like it's from the Frankenstein movies. The five-foot-seven-inch Crenshaw looks up, horrified like a cartoon with his eyes bugged out. When Peel comes to life and grabs Crenshaw by the neck, while a little blue bolt of electricity goes back and forth over the metal dome on his head. You like that, Crenshaw? You like that, Crenshaw? Say hello to Damien! Get him, Damien! Kill him! John Johnston IV hops around in glee as Damien's choking Crenshaw with both hands. As the camera zooms in to fill the screen with his face, which is turned red as a tomato, his eyes bugging out of his skull like a cartoon, looking straight at the camera. Oh my lord, we have to go. We'll be back with more Wild Wild Wrestling. Kings of the Ring, Episode 6, Meet Unleashed. In a large recording studio in New York City, most of the Empire roster mills about, dressed in full wrestling gear as a photographer roams about, along with TV cameras. The Tarzan Kid, Michael Angel, Tommy Aloha, Chief Thunder, the Bronx Bombers, the Blob, Dave the Powerlifter from Calgary, Tall Paul Mulligan, Leroy Brown, everybody. Hey Tommy, have you ever had Ethiopian food? Tony Carlucci in his full Native American garb as Chief Thunder asks, uh, no, Bob. Neither have they. <laughs> oh, that's awful, brother. Tarzan Kid shouts over at Chief Thunder. Hey, Tony, you know how you can spot a rich Ethiopian? Chief Thunder looks back. You can tell by the Rolex watch he wears. Around his waist. Oh, <laughs> Brian Lovejoy shakes his head. Come on, guys, cut it out. Hey, Tone, how many Ethiopians can you fit into a phone booth? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that funny, huh? You motherfuckers like to make fun of starving kids in Africa? They stop and look down ashamed. The wrestlers recognize this man chastising them as one of the many outsiders in the locker room back at Empire Mania. He wears a metallic gold blazer with the sleeves rolled up and a metallic purple button shirt underneath. His ponytail is pulled back. Streaks of brown hair spread horizontally across his bald head, struggling to stay alive. Fucking fake wrestlers. That's right, I said it. ABC News Exposed, baby. You don't mess with Boom Boom. <laughs> That's right, motherfuckers. I'm Robbie Boom Boom Dezima, the most powerful manager in Hollywood because I manage fucking Madonna, Kaja Gugu, and formerly the Flock of Seagulls. But fuck those guys. And now, instead of doing another line of sweet Colombian sugar off the backside of a Price is Right model, I'm stuck with you dickwads. Your boss, Julian Kane, had the idea of the Empire Wrestling Federation performing and selling a record to raise money for all those fucking Ethiopians that you think are so goddamn funny. And if any of you got a problem with that, then it's time to eat. And I'm gonna serve you all a big bowl of fuck you with a side order of suck my purple cock. Every motherfucking last one of you. We all gotta suck your cock. I didn't sign up for this, Julian. 
You know what I meant, asshole. Who said that? Who was that? Was that Donnie Gold? Which one of you is Donnie Gold? I remember you, you prick. Take a chill pill, Robbie. Holy shit, Bob. That Pink Floyd. Bob Geldof, the leader of the Boomtown Rats and founder of Band-Aid and Live-Aid, enters the room and takes the mic from Dezima. It's just a movie, dummy. Pink Floyd's a band. Despite the delivery of my colleague, Robbie, his passion and fire are justified. My name's Bob Geldof, and I've been asked to speak to you. Since proceeds from the sale of the record you're making today, it's going- I know who you are, you fucking spineless weasel! Killian Kavanaugh shouts out, leaning against the back wall with a can of beer in his hands. You, the guy who bowed down to that cunt, Maggie Thatcher, kissed her arse right proper in front of the world, begging her for forgiveness and mercy, instead of telling her to get stuffed and to end the illegal occupation of our country and give restitution to the men, women, and children who've suffered because of the illegal actions of the British government. Killian Kavanaugh, the pride of Ireland. I should have known. Still fighting these losing wars, eh, Hammer? Wanna talk about losing wars? You're the dumb fucker trying to turn a desert into a bleeding fish market. You know, I really don't care what you think, Killian. I don't care what any of you think. You can sit around and make all the jokes you want. Could give a fuck. This is only about raising money, and Julian has already pledged a substantial amount personally, and a percentage of the proceeds from this shite record you're about to make is going to help these poor people out, so I can ignore fuckers like Killian Kavanaugh, or any of you other tussers. As long as you do your job, record this monstrosity of a song, and get your fucking shite for brains wrestling fans to buy the record and send in money. Send in a lot of money, just like we did with Band-Aid and what we're going to do this summer with Live-Aid. A rock festival that you will absolutely all be banned from, while you fuckers pounce about in your limousines and your cocaine with a couple of birds bouncing on your balls tonight. There are 130 million people in Africa dying on their feet in a cold desert with no clothing, no food, no water, just waiting to die in the most degrading and painful way possible. Starvation. Today, you can do something about that. Record this fucking song. Do it quickly and properly and make personal donations of all your pathetic blood money and put it to something good for once. You will disgust me. Geldof walks out, not before flipping off Killian Kavanaugh, who throws his beer can at him. That's right, he told you, you dweebs. And for the record, you fucking disgust me too. <laughs> Julian Kane shakes Robbie's hand before all the wrestlers. Yes, Robbie, we all know why we're here. And everyone's gonna do their part. And we'll spread awareness to all the wrestling fans of America of the tragic circumstances afflicting those goddamn kids in Africa. And how the Empire Wrestling Federation is the only one doing anything about it, and that the World Wrestling Alliance can go fuck itself. Michael Angel asks. People usually this angry when they do charity work. All right, you sons of bitches. I've already laid out the beat with my friend here, MC Boogie Woogie. He gestures towards an African-American man in a red leather Michael Jackson jacket with matching white glove, his large jerry curl afro dripping all over the floor in his mirrored sunglasses. We are here today to create the first rap song for hunger. Because my ears to the street and rap is the future, motherfuckers. I hate every one of you. Now grab a sheet and find your part. 
Backstage at the Rochester Civic Center in Minnesota, the tuxedo-clad Freddie Fengler's jaw drops when in walks the newest members of AMW, Justin Buzzsaw Taylor, and the man known simply as Shark. They're both wearing black leather pants and leather boots to match Vernon Wells, the legendary villain from the Road Warrior movie. Shark's tall, sharp mohawk was perfected years ago, and he even grew a soul patch like the movie. And now, Justin Taylor has shaved his into a mohawk too, although shorter, like Mr. T with a beard. They each have lines of white face paint spread across their face to truly look like post-apocalyptic raiders. Wow, you guys look scary. Justin shakes his hand. Thanks. Shark sneers. Freddy turns to Nelly. You get these guys from Georgia? They're actually local guys, but they trained in Georgia. Prince Abdullah. Really? Wow. Where'd you come up with this look? It's from those Mad Max movies. You know, the ones with Mel Gibson driving around killing people. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but this freak look is, is some kind of gimmick. Yeah. Uh, let's get started, boys. Uh, I'll introduce you. Uh, what are your names? I'm Bussa, and he's Shark. We're the Apocalypse. Sounds good, boys. Come on in here. Uh, don't be nervous. I'll walk you through it. Just relax and speak one at a time, and I'll hold the mic. So who's first? Me. Just be clear and loud and have fun with it, all right? Let's go. <coughs> hey, someone hold up that card with the city names. I can't okay, remember that shit. Five. Four. Welcome back, fans. Freddy Fangler here with these two menacing monsters who are new to AMW. They are Shark and Buzzsaw, the Apocalypse. That's right, Daddy. I'm the Buzzsaw, and this is Shark, and it's an honor to be here to talk to you, Freddy Fangler. Shark grabs Freddy's hand forcefully and pulls it in while giving him a dirty look. You're lucky we don't rip your stinking head off right here on the TV camera, Freddy Fangler, because when we show up... It's a sign that the end of the world is coming. He looks straight into the camera. The end of your world. Look into the faces of death and destruction. We are the apocalypse. <laughs> oh my! Fans, if you dare, come on out to American Midwest Wrestling to see the newest tag team in AMW. You can see them Friday night in Des Moines, Saturday in Omaha, or Sunday afternoon in Sioux Falls, or how about Monday? Kings of the Ring will return after these messages. Never know what hits you when that feeling strikes, but oh, you gotta get a fight. McDonald's chicken McNuggets, so crispy, so light. It's something you just can't fight. Recently, an independent research firm ran a taste test between Coke and Pepsi, and the taste more people chose was the taste of Coca-Cola. Yes, more people all across the country, when comparing Coke to Pepsi, chose the taste of Coke as the better taste. Let's look at it this way. We gave America a choice, and more people said, Coke is it. It's a hit. It's a Coke. Coke is it. We now return to Kings of the Ring. 
Nathan Wilkinson and Jason Razor step into the WVBS studios, still empty of fans and crew. Just the outlaw Jesse James and Daniel Hawkins watching them. They look completely different now. Both men shaved completely bald. The only hair remaining, mustaches with goatees. The six foot two inch, 280 pound Nathan Wilkinson, with the broadest chest of the entire meat machine, is getting into this more, mean mugging his way to the podium. Razor, shorter and stockier with a flabbier physique and a doughy face, is a little more unsure and uncomfortable playing a, a full-blown character like this, and also missing his best pal Justin, who didn't get picked for SCW, as they were hoping to be the Apocalypse tag team. Okay boys, we open up the door soon, so let's see what you got. Jesse James leads them in. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, give me a moment, I have to talk all raspy. <clears throat> Shatota, oh you puny American, think you'll confess the Rakoff or the Prince. Whoa, 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 D just stop it now. It doesn't sound anything like Russian. What kind of accent is that? I don't have a damn clue what it's trying to be. Uh, Jason, let let's try you out. We are Rakoffs, and we hate America. No, no, quit it. Razor, you probably shouldn't even talk for this first promo, but we'll let Abby handle most of it. Uh, Wilkinson, you gotta get into this better. You need to talk with a real Russian accent. You know, like that, that Yakov Smirnoff. You know, that comedian, the whole, uh, what a country gimmick, you know? Oh, right, I got it. Jesse looks at the two men in their red singlets with the yellow hammer and sickle logo to match the flag from the Soviet Union. Is it, boys? Went and got the tights, it's good. You look the part. Now you gotta act it. Now Prince is gonna start it out and, and explain the gimmick. Russia boycotted the 84 Olympics last year. And now they sent you two here to make examples out of the, the puny American wrestlers. You are the Rakoff brothers, Vladimir and Dmitry. Let's go again. All of you puny American think you'll confess the Rakoffs or the Prince. I am Vladimir Rykov, and I come from Russia, the superior country, from the Kremlin himself with one goal, to crush all you puny Americanskis. Prince Abdullah takes over. I will guide these boys to the top of the World Wrestling Alliance and destroy everything in our path. Who will be the first to feel our wrath as we prove once again America, worst country in the world. And if there is one thing I hate, it is America. No one can stop the Prince, former world champion, Prince Abdullah and the Rykovs. You heard it here, fans. Prince Abdullah Akbar has brought these two massive Russians, the Rykovs, to America to Southeast Championship Wrestling. And who, boy, I wouldn't want to be first in line to face these monsters. Let's go to the ring for our first look at Bo Riggs. Bo Riggs Rogowski is in the ring with black trunks and a black leather vest, his curly brown hair starting to get a little longer in the back, as per instructions from Jesse, and his Tom Selleck mustache in full force. Jesse James in full cowboy regalia, ready to cut his promo after this match, watches the monitor from the green room with Daniel Hawkins. That whole promo was excellent. It's terrific. That it was, Danny boy. You hear the pop from the girls for Riggs? from everybody. He's already over. I think the subtle biker gimmick works best. He's good looking enough for the ladies, but still a macho enough for the men. 
and we got the rock and rollers for the teenage girls. Jesse smiles and winks at Daniel Hawkins as things start to come together for his new vision for 1985. All you need now is an official patriot to fend off these foreigners. Jesse and Daniel Hawkins turn around and see corporal punishment approaching alongside Diamond Donnie Gold. Jesse, uh, could we go over something? Uh, yeah, sure thing, Donnie. Donnie and Jesse step off to the side, while Daniel Hawkins looks up at the former SCW headliner. What are you doing here, Jerry? I'm here to work, brother. I'm free of that empire bullshit. I'm ready to get down to business. What you and Jesse have done here is quite amazing. You did this without you. You fucking ditched us, Jerry. You no-showed us when we needed you. Left me with my dick in my hands without a main event. You sold out to join the new fucking empire and Julian Kane. Listen, I'm sorry, Daniel. That was a huge mistake. And I can't apologize enough for the way I exited. It wasn't right. No, it wasn't fucking right. Now you think you can just come back here like everything's normal? Like everything's okay? Well, Donnie Gold's back. Yeah, because he's fucking Donnie Gold. And he also dropped the belt before he left here. And he begged Jesse to forgive him when he came back. That's what I'm trying to do now, Daniel. You and I go back years. I mean, think of the money we could make with me against them them new Russians, Prince Abdullah. No way, Jerry. You fucked me. You're not welcome here. Please, Daniel, I, I'm begging you. The South is my home. You should have thought of that before you ditched us for that snake Julian. We got something good going on here, and it's only getting better. So we don't need you or want you. And I speak for everyone else in the Alliance when I say, fuck off. Daniel stares at Jerry with a stern look on his face while he points to the door. Jerry's shoulders drop as he turns and walks out. In the Dallas Sportatorium, the old arena where Elvis Presley once performed once upon a time, Burt Ironside and his booker, Peyton Thomas, are sitting in the front row of the empty building while Chris Stanley faces them making his pitch. Now, Uncle can't make another angel brother. Bert narrows his eyes. Um, and you can never replace Mike uh, people from the past. But what you can do is give the fans a new hero. A new superhero. Chris looks off to the side as if something's supposed to happen. Peyton turns to Bert. This that new kid that Brutal Bob and Prince Abdullah trained? What's he look like? He's big and jacked, about 6'5", really put together. I said, a new superhero. Uh, is this Chris being dramatic? Chris turns red and sweats, until finally... He used to be Ian Streeter, the shaggy guy from Biker Bar. Now, he's like some kind of Greek god or hero from mythology come to life. I give you Apollo Samson. Ian walks down the aisle. His six-foot-four-inch, 275-pound rippling physique revealed with him in white wrestling boots and yellow trunks. His hair, now the color of gold, shorter on the top and sides and longer in the back, highlighting his surprisingly handsome face, accented by a metallic, shiny gold headband. Peyton drops his Pepsi on the floor and stands staring. Holy shit, Bert! Looks like a million bucks! Where'd you find this kid? Ian plays the part perfectly looking like an elite athlete imbued with the powers of a god. Chris looks to Bert, who cracks a tiny smile while looking at Ian and nods his head. Can he work? I saw him in training. He's green, 
but he'll catch on. Ian shakes Bert and Peyton's hands and nods to Chris, who gives an excited nod of approval back, then signals him to leave. Ian walks to the back as Bert and Peyton can't take their eyes off him. Okay, here's the thing. We need to make a splash, right? Not only for our own business, but to show uh, Jesse James and the rest of the Alliance that we picked the right guy. But I mean, look at him. He looks amazing, right? He does, Chris. I only saw a body back in Georgia, but you, you turned him into something pretty fucking spectacular. Yes. I'll fucking say. We got the next goddamn Thor Hansen. He even has a cool fucking name. You come up with that, Chris? Yeah. So what do you think if we really make this happen? Now, the people don't know him or anything about him. Nobody does. Only his looks to judge him by. So how about we take advantage of that, since he looks like a top guy, and make him a top guy? Peyton nodding his head while Bert squints at Chris. Now, both you guys have been quite clear how much you hate that you had to make Willie Dean the Southern champ. So what do you think about Apollo Sampson's very first match? He wins the belt. Create a top guy for All South right out the gate to energize the entire territory. You can't just create a draw like that out of nothing. Why not? You just can't. They made Thor Hansen the top guy in one night when he ran in on Prince Abdul in Chicago. Yeah, but those Chicago fans knew him from AMW. People back in New York didn't, or Philadelphia, or Maine. They got on board quick because of his look and charisma and the push they gave him because he had the goods, physically at least. He just needed that push. Instead of building Apollo for a whole year, let's jumpstart it and kill two birds with one stone. Make Apollo Samson and take the belt off Willie Dean in one shot and bring his ego back down to earth. Chris, listen. I admit he looks as good as anyone since my... since anyone who's walked through the walls of the Sportatorium, but Peyton looks to Bert. Surprised he hasn't thrown Chris out on his ass already. A 30-second win. Even the greenest guy can't screw that up. And we need to be the first to do something with our meat machine guy because I know what the others are capable of. Let's do it. In the locker room of the Memorial Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa, in his red jogging suit with towel around his neck, the All-American Dan Sanders walks in carrying a large sports duffel bag and a big smile on his face. Dan Sanders, my most prized student. Come here, my boy. Good to see you, Papa. Dan drops his bag and hugs Charlie Gotch. Nelly's here. Dan's here. Nelly Gotch walks over and shakes his hand. Good to see you, Dan. How you been? Doing all right. Staying busy? Working? Yeah, I'm pleased you're here. We need you. Nelly's right. It's been too long. So many years you were stuck up in New York. Never even came back to see me. Well, you know how it is, Papa. Working on top for Jonathan had me busy. Uh, never mind about that now. You're here, back home. The place where you started. Now I'm going to give you the push you would have had all along if you didn't fly the coop for the bright lights of New York City. Come on, Charlie. You know it wasn't like that. Anyway, I'd like to get some heat on you right away. Okay. I want to make you a champion. Really? That'd be an honor. First one to ever hold the ESWF National Heavyweight title and AMW's North American Championship. Yes. It would be a big fucking deal. And those assholes at the Digest better sell it as such. Nanny, you got the belt? Nelly pulls up a canvas sack. 
and we're going to put it on him tonight. Tonight? You can't do that tournament in one night. I had the whole thing booked to last a month. Yeah, fuck that. You've been that a champ for too long. Forget the tournament. Let's just make him champ. Nelly opens the cord in the sack and pulls out the new AMW North American title belt, which looks completely different and smaller than the original that Goliath destroyed. Rather unimpressive. You just want to have a two-man tournament with Dan Sanders? Yeah, I didn't want to do that. Let's just get on with it and say Dan Sanders is the champ already. Without a match. How? Uh, we say he won it in Brazil in a tournament or something. It's not something people can prove is a work. You know, Pop, it's actually not a bad idea. Since we've been vague on the whole deal with Goliath on TV, we could make it sound like Dan beat him for the belt without actually saying it. Right. Have Freddy explained before his match that Goliath is no longer the AMW North American champion and Dan Sanders won the title in Rio de Janeiro. There you go. There you go. They all smile and look at each other. Really looking forward to this run, guys. Yes, in a long run, too. Charlie gets emotional. <laughs> you being here means a lot, Danny. It's been a rough year. We need some stability with a strong champ like you. I'm always here for you, Papa. The SCW Brain Trust is feeling pretty good after these tapings as they prepare to hit the road for tonight's show. Jesse James, Daniel Hawkins, and Diamond Donny Gold head out the locker room when they see their own celebrity wrestler, Jimmy Buck. Jimmy, there's room for one more in Daniel Hawkins' private plane. You coming with us? Get there a lot quicker. You kidding me? I'm not gonna get on that death trap just like my women. If it does not weigh at least two tons, I ain't getting on it. Shoot yourself, Jimmy. We'll see you in Columbia. He'll drive with the boss. Really taking a shine to the life of a wrestler. Don't think we'll ever get rid of him, Danny boy. <laughs> Jesse pats Hawkins back as they enter the car on the way to the airport. Leave the highway driving to the curtain jerkers. Private jet is the only way to travel. <laughs> oh yeah. Just hush up and get in the car, Diamond Donnie. The Dallas Sportatorium is about three quarters full tonight, which is about as full as it's been since Michelangelo and Leroy Brown left, and one failure after another sought to replace that void. Pretty boy Willie Dean was in the middle of the ring. That's why I told the Alliance Committee, you find me anyone and I'll beat it, because I am the best. They said, you want us to find someone to challenge you? And I said, go ahead, make my day. Come on, All South Wrestling. Let's see what you got. He gives the mic back to Roughhouse Russ, the All South Wrestling announcer, and arrogantly looks around. And his opponent, who hails from Mount Olympus, he weighed in at 275 pounds. He is Apollo Samson. Willie Dean smirks until he sees Apollo, and his jaw drops to the floor as fans cheer wildly as they see this living Greek god walk to the ring. Ian is a bit overwhelmed being before fans for the first time, but he keeps a strong game face on as he walks to the ring and is immediately mobbed by girls, touching his clean-shaven face. I guess Chris was right, he says to himself. He climbs through the ropes and hears the cheers, and he feels Willie Dean pounding on the back of his head and remembers what they're supposed to do. Willie pounds on him while pulling him all the way to the ring. 
He pushes him against the ropes. Worse me. Real press. Willie pushes Ian to the other side of the ring, and as Ian goes to run, he feels Willie still gripping his wrist tight and then remembers to stop. He reverses and throws Willie towards the ropes instead. He bounces off and comes back, and Ian crouches down, and Willie jumps up into his arms. Ian picks up Willie by the crotch and neck. Willie pushes himself up on Ian's shoulders as Ian hoists him in a full gorilla press. He holds him up and can't even feel a thing he's so adrenalized. He finally pushes him down and Willie flips over onto his back and flops around the mat like a fish in a boat. The fans go completely bonkers and Ian sees that half the reason is because of how Willie is selling it. As Willie eventually gets up while holding his back as if it was broken, Ian swings him up on his shoulder back first as if Willie was being laid out on a torture rack. He holds him up in the backbreaker while Willie screams okay, to stop no, the match. No, no, Chris Stanley and Peyton Thomas are off to the side watching it from the floor. Peyton marvels at the crowd reaction. I like that finish too. That whole match is how Dominic Dante beat Leather Lewis at the Garden in 1964. <laughs> you done good, kid. Let the era of Apollo begin. This week's deleted scenes were Julian Kane being all creepy with Thor Hansen in the elevator before the Bob Geldof scene, and Chris Angel. Chris Angel? and Chris Stanley taking Ian Streeter to the beauty salon to convince him to remake his look to become Apollo Samson. If you're listening to the Patreon Extended Edition, I hope you enjoyed those scenes. If you did not hear those scenes, then you're listening to the standard wide-release version of Kings of the Ring, and I invite you to become a patron, since every episode will not only be available to you two weeks before the rest of the world, but will have at least one deleted scene and other scenes expanded. You can still follow the story if you don't do that, but the deleted scenes will definitely enhance the story. Speaking of which, I want to give a quick shout out to some of our new patrons, Bill Alexander and Travis Wilson, 